Jeannie Flavelle's Hot Commodity Podcast Series. Empowering clients with commercial intelligence, supply chain expertise, and risk management solutions. Good afternoon, everybody. My name is Mike Coughlin, President and CEO of McKinney Flavelle, and today is July 15th, 2022, and welcome to our Hot Commodity Podcast Series. Uh, happy Friday to everybody. I'm joined by two guests today from our partners at Ernerberry, something we don't normally hear. We're going to talk about pork and plant proteins today. So today I'm joined by Ryan Hochnowski, who covers the pork markets, everything pork for Ernerberry, and also Andrea Torsiello, who covers plant proteins and eggs for Ernerberry. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, Mike. Thank you for having me. Hi, Mike. Thank you for having me, too. Yes. And, you know, I'm excited to talk, have you guys on the podcast today. We're going to talk about uh, some topics that we don't normally talk about. One is pork. Ryan, you're going to cover pork for us. And uh, Andrea, you're going to cover plant protein. Yeah. So this is great. You know, I was talking to you guys before the podcast, and uh, I asked you what your hobbies were. And uh, I have some people in turn that are going to love your answer. And having the answer, you both said animals. So, uh, Andrea, you have a, a beautiful bulldog. Tell me about your bulldog. I do. Chief is five years old. He is a total ham. Yeah. He yeah. is currently sleeping right okay. below my feet. I hope you don't hear him snoring. I always wonder when I'm on calls if my contacts can hear him. But yeah. he's yeah. always with me, usually just hanging out laying down, looking for food. Um, oh, he's awesome. awesome. He's awesome. That's great. That's great. And Ryan, you, you go the other way. You, you're about cats. You have a couple cats uh, <laughs> rocking and rolling around there, right? Yes, I have two cats. One is named Wilma and one is Betty. Uh, similar to what Andrea said, my cats are completely food motivated. Food will yes. get them going all the time. <laughs> yes. Ryan, I think what we do is we put a bowl of pork and a bowl of plant protein and see what see which one they go for. You know, that won't be too I much think, of a guessing game. I could tell you which one would be chosen. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, I, Andrea, do you want to just do it? Let's start with plant proteins and uh, just do a quick introduction and in, in your role within Erner Berry. And uh, I thought you know our listeners are going to be very interested because. Uh, plant proteins have grown significantly. You know, us being in the Bay Area, we've got a lot of uh, different companies coming out of this area that are uh, uh, have some plant-based substitutes. And so I'm, I'm sure our listeners are very, very excited. And for me, uh, growing up with two hippie parents who were, I would say they're pioneers of, of uh, organic and natural foods, as a kid, I didn't really like that, but uh, I'm sure my dad here is listening and I'm very excited to understand what's happening in the protein space. Oh, yeah, absolutely, Mike. Wherever you go now, you're going to see a plant-based option in one form or another. But this market is definitely full study to firm uh, as we go further into the summer. So in addition to logistical struggles, supplies have also been tight because we've been dealing with drought. And I believe we've been under drought conditions for over 75 consecutive weeks mm -hmm. in the United States. Um, inflation's also playing a role now, along with the war in Ukraine. Uh, sure, as you know, 
They're a major supplier of wheat and their exports have been cut significantly as most of the black seaports are blocked and have been since February. So I've been hearing that spot market prices for select soy protein concentrates have increased as much as 20% in recent months. And pea protein items have seen 15 to 20 cent increases since March. Now, Erner Berry quotes this market monthly because prices for these isolates and concentrates don't move as quickly one way or another like our traditional proteins, but there is quite a bit of volatility. So we did raise our quotations across the board for the month of July for all pea and soy items just to reflect that supply tightness and inflationary pressure we're seeing. That's cool. Hey, and you know, one of the things that we've talked a lot about in the podcast about is inflation in food. And, uh, you know, I can just tell you, I go to the grocery store and that $50 bag of groceries is now $100 and I'm not buying anything different. So one of the things I I think would be interesting to have you give a a perspective on is the retail sales for plant proteins. I know, you know, you've seen it in the restaurant and food service and and on the uh, retail shelf. But what what uh, what are we seeing there? Is, Is it still increasing? Mm-hmm. So in 2020, plant-based food sales surpassed $7 billion at retail. Oh, wow. Yes. And that was up 27% from the year prior. And if you take a look at meat alternatives specifically, they reached about $1.4 billion, which was an increase of almost 50% from a year ago. Now, that retail boom was a result of some of that panic buying and stockpiling that we witnessed at the height of the pandemic. And right. in some cases, the meat section was empty at times. And that was mostly because mm. producers couldn't keep up with the consumer demand. And this was kind of a silver lining for the plant protein market during the pandemic because consumers were now trying their products that otherwise may not have. And at times, you know, your second or your third choice may have been your only choice as you were grocery shopping. Excellent. Also, you know, consumers were getting bored. You know, they couldn't go out and Mm. basically all meals were being made at home unless you were doing some sort of takeout. So trying a plant-based option was a way to kind of break routine and have something new to look forward to preparing. And we also saw shelf-stable items benefit from this because consumers were concerned that during their food shopping trip that maybe the next time they come back, what they usually buy wouldn't be available to them. So they also needed items that weren't perishable and that they could keep for a long time. Mm -hmm. But in 2021, retail sales hit a plateau and sales have remained stable for meat alternatives at that $1.4 billion, which was to be expected as, you know, we kind of returned to that new normal. The boom couldn't last forever, but three-year growth stands at 74%. So there's still interest there and consumers, especially millennials and Gen Z are more open to trying these items. They're certainly the target market. And when you think about 2022 and the months ahead, we may see the stabilization hold, especially as the cost of food continues to increase and general inflation skyrockets and keeps breaking records. So in this economic environment, the consumer is not going to be as likely to try something new or be open to a different experience. You know, when they go to the grocery store, they're looking to get what they need and get out and might even be considering reducing certain items to cut costs, Um, especially, you know, if they had to fill their tank on the way to the supermarket and spend $100 on gas, right, before they even tackle the grocery list. Yes. It'll be interesting to see if sales hold at that level for this year. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I think that if you look at somebody like myself, uh, you know, I love meat and uh, but I also want to try and I'm curious about it. And, uh, you know, partially my doctor tells me that. But, uh, you know, it's it's uh, an interesting thing to try. And I, I can tell you, I was at the Natural Products Expo in March and there was tons of, of plant based 
uh, protein companies uh, with with different products. And I'll tell you, there was a chicken nugget. I did. I thought it was a chicken nugget, did you but really? it wasn't a chicken nugget. Huh. I did. It was really, really good. So yeah. So that's retail, but food service. I mean, the restaurant industry has struggled through the COVID pandemic. What would you? Uh, what's What's the demand uh, look like there? Mm-hmm. So the food service sector has been an interesting one for this market. So pre-COVID, we were seeing many offerings and testing of different areas for plant-based items on menus, whether it be quick service, fast casual, or casual dining. And then, of course, once the pandemic hit, all of this experimentation came to a screeching halt. You know, there was a time when you couldn't even dine outside. It was only takeout, delivery, or drive-through. So not only was it difficult for some restaurants to pivot to that style of service if those concepts were new to them, but it also presented a tremendous amount of risk for plant protein brands making their first foray into food service. So for that reason, a lot of brands decided to pull back and not enter the sector at that time and mainly focus on retail since they were having such great success there. And then as we came out of that lockdown phase, the plant-based offerings started to return in the new year. Um, we saw Chipotle offer a plant-based chorizo. Yes. Tucky yeah. Fried Chicken expanded its offering of plant-based chicken in partnership with Beyond Meat. And then also McDonald's announced that certain locations would offer its plant-based burger, the McPlant, nationwide. Uh, But we saw Chipotle pull the chorizo from the menu and then McDonald's reported that sales of the McPlant have been minimal. And what they're finding is that the consumer, for the most part, is already satisfied with the offerings available to them. Or they're not necessarily looking for a plant-based alternative that's designed to identically mimic real meat. So in the case of Chipotle, prior to the plant-based chorizo, they already had vegetarian offerings like the fajita veggies and the sofritas, which is tofu. And their customers seem to be happy with that. So I think it's going to take more development and a focus on providing an experience that's different and really going to make the consumer want to choose that plant-based option, even if it's just occasionally and not consistently. Andrea, I'll tell you, I really appreciate explaining to me why Chipotle pulled the the veggie chorizo because I loved it. And all of a sudden it was gone. I did. I was like, because Kevin, listeners out there know Kevin, (laughs) Kevin Combs here. He goes to Chipotle like four times a week. Oh, wow. And uh, so I go with him and, and I loved it. I tried it. It was really good. And then they pulled it on me and I was oh. very upset. So I appreciate it. So if Chipotle, huh. you're out there, I want you to bring it back <laughs> for me. And I promise at least three times a week, I will, uh, I will, I will partake oh. in uh, that good. veggie trees. I don't know yeah. if you had it, but it was really good. I usually go for the Sofritas. When I go okay. to Chipotle, all right. I like okay, so okay, all right. We're gonna. We're. I think Ryan's gonna have a different answer for us, but he, uh, yeah, <laughs> he may. We'll get to him in just a second. So, Andrea, let's wrap it up on the mm-hmm. plant protein and um, talk to us a little bit. Uh, maybe wrap it up, kind of where you see things from your your standpoint moving forward, and some of the challenges, uh, either supply chain that they may have, and any comparisons to traditional meat? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so the challenges are similar among all the markets, but of course the details can vary for each one. If you look at plant proteins, participants here note labor retention as little as three to six weeks, lead times for ingredients as long as 10 to 12 weeks, freight and transportation, of course, is through the roof. We're all dealing with that. And packaging materials are pressed. But for plant proteins, there are also many ingredients that go into making the end product to mimic meat, including seasonings and oils, in addition to those further processed protein powders. And the Mm -hmm. long lead times have made it very difficult to get 
all of those ingredients together at the same time. So that's caused manufacturers to get very creative. So for the most part, they've built up enough inventory to fill current needs, but they've also developed multiple blends for the same SKU. So in the event that they can't get a certain oil or a certain flavor, they can still create a product to sell. Got it. And when you're comparing the process to traditional meat, production costs for plant proteins are much higher, which is why these items cost more at the consumer level than real meat. And the reason for this is that plant protein production has not reached the scale that traditional meat has yet. You know, there are a lot of hands throughout the supply chain that need to make a profit. So the manufacturer is dealing with the farmer that's growing the crops, the processor that makes those crops into a powder with varying protein levels, and also ingredient suppliers to create that end product. And for meat, some producers are so large that they can do their entire process in-house. Now, plant proteins haven't reached that scale at this point. That's really going to take growth and time. And once we have reached that point, you'll start to see costs for the consumer come down and they'll be more competitive with traditional meat. Perfect. Every listeners out there, that was Andrea Torsiello. She is the plant protein and not only plant protein, but egg market researcher for Unerberry. Uh, great recap. Um, let's shift over to Ryan. Ryan, you cover all things pork. And I will just have to say there's a uh, item in, that you make with pork called the million dollar bacon. Have you ever had this? Do you know what that is? I have not. Oh my gosh. You and I have to have it. I'm assuming that you eat uh, pork. Uh, and this, this million dollar bacon is got molasses uh, or maple syrup and, and like uh, chili flakes and it's just bacon and you bake it. It's supposed to be amazing. I will take you up on that. We, I will take you up on that. We definitely have to try that. All right. So everyone, this is Ryan Ochnowski. You cover everything pork for Erner Berry. Why don't you give us a little recap of what's happening in the uh, pork space? Yeah, sure. I'll give you a brief overview of what's been happening so far this year. So to start from the beginning of the story, uh, let's look at live hogs, right? So you have elevated feed costs. You have some hog disease issues, which really popped up. They, They tend to pop up from time to time. They've popped up probably during the fall of 2021, and they've continued. Nothing super significant, but it's definitely impacting the market. What that's done so far during the year of 2022 is it's tightened the supply of live hogs. Now, in turn, that uh, forces a reduction of the hog slaughter, a reduction of production of pork, and you now end up with a tighter supply than what you were expecting. If you look at any chart within pork, that has to do with slaughter production, you could see on a weekly basis, it trends well under 2021 levels. So now as we sit in the middle of summer of 2022, we've been left with a tighter supply of raw pork products for nearly every category, whether you're talking Mm. about pork hams, pork bellies, which is commonly used for bacon, pork trimmings, commonly used for hot dogs and sausages, pork butts, commonly used for pulled pork, and pork loins as well. All of those items have seen their prices very well supported here in midsummer as there's a tight supply and there's fairly good demand at both the retail and food service level. Now, the one category you may be thinking about that I didn't mention yet are pork ribs, whether you're talking about spare ribs, St. Louis ribs, back ribs. That category has a different story than everything else. During the pandemic, a lot of product got pulled out of the freezer and ribs were one of them. So if you go back to 2021 summer, you look at, say, back rib or St. Louis rib prices, you can see they were well into all-time high territory as the supply was not only tight on the fresh side, but very tight on the frozen side. 
Now, that was a lot due to labor as well mm. in the beginning stages of the pandemic. There just labor across almost every industry in this country and really around the world took a hit. And as we have slowly recovered, now that we are into the summer of 2022, we have slowly increased the frozen stock of ribs. And what had happened was you had an additional supply coming into this summer. So the all-time high prices were not necessarily sustainable and you didn't have the best demand this year. Now that we're past the 4th of July holiday, demand yep. just came off a bit. Re- overall retail features out there are down a bit on ribs and ribs have been coming off pretty significantly. Again, that is really the only category within pork products uh, that's coming off right now. So when you uh, talking about retail sales during the pandemic, uh, one of the things our listeners have heard from us is that uh, this drive towards uh, more nostalgic brands and products uh, as a way for comfort. Would you say, I mean, some listeners out there would say that pork is a comfort food <laughs> for them. <laughs> Did you see the similar thing where uh, retail sales were increased uh, during that? Or would you say because of the supply, it was just really limited? I would say during the supply, but I would say the, the, the more um, important part of the story would be when you look at the beginning of the pandemic and you take into food service into consideration, right? You had a, a lot of restaurants forcefully shut down. You had outdoor dining situations, which didn't necessarily work for every location. Mm-hmm. You still had some type of restaurant delivery services. Even that was a bit slower than what would be expected. Sure. Now, in terms of demand, it's definitely improved since. As we all could see around the country, you're able to go back into restaurants again at some level. A lot of outdoor dining places are still very popular and, you know, demand has improved. Now, I I should also take a step back and say that labor in terms of food service at restaurants, it's still Mm. a bit of a struggle in terms of wait staff and back staff. Um, So the experience is still less than ideal. However, the interesting thing here would be Retail saw a massive surge in the beginning of the pandemic, and retail is still fairly strong till now because during, with all those factors considered with food service, you didn't necessarily have uh, that option. So consumers went to retail and almost bought you know, some items such as bacon almost regardless of price. If you take a look at the average bacon price per pound around this country, say two years ago, you're talking at the $4 level, sometimes in the high threes. As of right now this week, you're talking over $7. Okay, wait, so, wait time out, Ryan. We might have to cut that out because if my wife hears that bacon's doubled, she'll cut me off. <laughs> See, that is one item I personally <laughs> will not cut back on. <laughs> uh, yeah, so it's almost doubled in price. Wow. Yeah, still to that's this crazy. day. Exactly. And and that's and that goes without saying that retail bacon sales haven't necessarily been as strong as some expected out there. Now, food service bacon demand is very strong. It's been very strong mm. since food service reopened. There has not been many reports uh, contradicting that at all. However, at retail, mm-hmm. even with these elevated pri- with elevated prices there, you know, there's been some pushback, but not as much as you would necessarily expect when a price doubles over the course of a few years. Wow, that's crazy. So, so what do you what do you see moving forward for uh, the pork category? As far as I mean, are we going to continue to have uh, tightness in in some of the categories and elevated prices? Should we anticipate for that? So, it's very hard to predict the markets and say where they are going. However, a strong indication here could be, like I said earlier, if you look at overall hog supply, right? You look at overall hog slaughter. You look at overall production. It's well under a year ago levels. Now, if we go back 
back, say, 15, 20, 25 years. Each year, you could tell slowly but surely, it tends to increase a little bit here and there. But we have definitely seen this year well under year-ago levels. So you could draw conclusions there and say, hey, overall supply of raw pork products is definitely tight. When it comes to pricing, it's anyone's guess out there. Um, sure. On a day-to-day basis, prices are volatile. If you were ever to look at our Comtel service here at Ernerberry and look at price charts, the best way to explain it would be it's more volatile, some of these pork prices, than cryptocurrency, even Bitcoin prices, Ethereum prices, wow. uh, stock prices. Some of these items move very quickly intraday. We quote pork prices here at Ernerberry once in the AM and once in the PM. I know Andrea had said sometimes prices aren't super volatile on her side, but with uh, within pork, they sometimes are. So prices change very rapidly day to day. Excellent. All right. Great. Well, thank you, Ryan. That was a great recap of the pork market. Andrea, thank you so much for uh, giving us an overview on the protein market. I just want to also thank uh, Chief the Bulldog for staying really quiet. I'd also <laughs> like to thank William and Betty. Uh, not sure where Fred is, but uh, thank those uh, two uh, lovely cats for keeping quiet as well as we get through this. Uh, before we let listeners go, uh, I'd like to talk a little bit about uh, your guys' Global Protein Summit that's in Chicago, October 17th through the 19th at the Drake Hotel. A fabulous two-day seminar, is that correct, or is it even longer? Yes, yeah, so it'll start... The first day is just an evening session, and then yep. you know it'll be two full days, and we'll have plant proteins there, red meat, and also seafood this year, which oh will God. be certainly very interesting. So, looking forward to it. Yeah, it's I've been to your events; they're great. Uh, a lot of great content, a lot of great uh, collaboration, and uh, meeting people, and uh, it's it's a very very good event. And guess what, listeners? You can register at their website at earnerberry.com. That's U R N E R. B-A-R-R-Y.com. You also heard Ryan talk about their Comtel system, which has a lot of data and charts. You can do a lot of analysis yourself, but also listen to these two folks here on what their take is today and moving forward and what's going to impact those markets. So uh, we're going to wrap this one up. I hope everybody has a great weekend. As I always like to say, live with an attitude of gratitude. Enjoy every minute moment with your friends and family. Don't you dare take it for granted. And until next week, take care, everybody. That concludes this podcast episode. For expanded commentary and more detailed information, log on to McKinney Favelle's IQ Ingredient Intelligence platform and listen to our Market Insights podcast. If you're not a subscriber, visit bikini-favelle.com for more information. And as always, follow us on YouTube, LinkedIn, Facebook, and Twitter.